everyone and welcome to Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist podcast. My name's Amelia, I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Anime Feminist and I'm joined here today by Peter Fobian and Cara Dennison, special guest. If you guys would like to introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Peter Fobian, I'm an Associates Features Editor for Crunchyroll and a Editor and Contributor for Anime Feminist. I am Cara Dennison, or Kara for those who don't care. Uh, I am a contributing news writer for Crunchyroll and Viewster. Excellent. Now, we've invited you here today, Cara, because you and I have not seen the most recent series, two series now, of Berserk. Yeah, we have both seen a version of Berserk back in 1997, is my understanding, but not the most recent. Uh, is it two cores now there are? Uh, yes, moving into the third. Okay, moving into the third, as we just found out today. Mm. Um so we decided that would be our next watch along. A watch along is where we watch six episodes at a time with some people in the room who have seen the series and know it very well and some people in the room who have never seen it. And after six episodes, we discuss what we've seen from a feminist perspective and talk about what we think might be to come and our hopes for the upcoming episodes and then watch another six and do it again until we've got through the series. So the reason we picked Berserk a few things. Um, <laughs> one was Peter's a big fan. It comes up in Anfem internal chat quite a lot, I'm and sorry. it's always <laughs> no. It's fine because I've been meaning to watch it for absolutely ages. I mean, I I watched I think one episode and said, "Ah, oh, this this is nothing like the 1997 series, which I knew and I really enjoyed." Um, there's no sense of resolution from the end of the 97 series, which is you know it's not exactly heavy on resolving its uh, story so it it didn't feel satisfying to me and I didn't kind of like the aesthetic of it so I just watched an episode and then said no not for me moving on but you have continued to talk about how it's actually very good and very interesting and there's a lot of feminist discussion points in it so I've always meant to get back to it and once we finish the watch long of Shirobako which is more on the how to say, uh, <laughs> more on the more delicate and more probably gentle slice of life kind of storytelling. I wanted to do something quite different. Now, other members of the team are going to be looking at more kind of shoujo and uh, jose anime and watching those and discussing those. So we thought we'd do something very different and it doesn't get more different than Berserk. <laughs> So that's why we're here and looking at it. I don't think there's a whole lot of feminist discussion about Berserk in this way. Um, I think there are bits and pieces, but pulling it together in this kind of ongoing analysis, I don't think happens that often. Correct me if I'm wrong, readers, if there's something out there, I would love to, to see it myself. I've been looking for it. I haven't found it. And haven't found it. Okay, we'll have to make it. <laughs> and also, if you guys have any pictures on this, please do feel free to pitch us on shows like Berserk. We would love to have more feminist perspectives on this. Please. Please. So starting off, we're just going to look at what our individual experiences of Berserk were before this watch along. So I mentioned that I watched the 1997 version. What I didn't say is that that was back in 2004, off the recommendation of my university housemate at the time. Um, it was, in that sense, it was one of the earlier anime that I saw at that time. I was just in my first year of university. I had a lot to watch. Um, and most of what I had seen was DVD, so it was quite a restricted selection. Um, I haven't seen the films. I haven't read the manga. I watched the 97 version again fairly recently as kind of a refresher. But that's about it. I am very under-read, I think, when it comes to Berserk. So I found um, Guts and Griffith's relationship absolutely fascinating. I found Casca to be a really great but kind of underpowered character if I remember rightly her greatest triumphs as a leader tended to be off screen and when she was on screen it was kind of mostly to show how devoted she was to Griffith or how like, impressive Guts was and again correct me if I'm wrong on this it has been a little while since I saw it um, but that was my recollection so I knew there'd be quite a lot to talk about in New Berserk but that was the extent of my knowledge. So Cara how about you what's your background with Berserk? Well, um, I first watched it in my college's anime club, so that would have been around 99-2000, so of course the 97 version. Um, and at that point, it was, uh, it was back in fan subs, 
because Guts's name was spelled Gats. So that should tell you that should tell you how long ago it was. It was G A T T S. Uh, uh, but um, for a lot of what we watched in my anime club, no matter how serious, no matter how good it was, no matter how whatever it was, everything we watched became an in joke with us. And so uh, while recognizing sort of, again, what you said about the Guts and Griffith relationship, um, the whole thing was sort of a massive joke for us because it was so ultra-violent, and it was it, it was such a crazy thing, and it was so crazy compared to the other stuff we watched, which was, which was like Slayers and Utena, and it was the sore thumb in our group. So we watched it every week solely so we could spend the next week uh, making gags about how gory it was. <laughs> oh <my> um, <laughs> and <laughs> so I, I don't think I've ever done a s- serious watch of it. I'm not very familiar with um, any other iterations of it. So so my version has always been almo- almost like a proto-meme of it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is going to be quite different experience for you then. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Peter, how about you? Um, I couldn't tell you when I watched the 1997 anime, uh, but I, I've watched that, I think, two or three times now, um, as well as the new movie trilogy that came out as it was coming out on Blu-ray. Uh, I've been following the 2016-2017 uh, anime, doing a couple pieces on Crunchyroll for that. Um, I also reviewed the Berserk and the Band of the Hawk video game, and I interviewed the producer of the anime Ryo Kurosu right when it was first coming out. I've got a bit of a background with the series. A little bit of a background and a deep love for it, which is exactly what we need, because I think there are going to be times when we're saying, why, Peter, why does this happen this way? Oh, yeah. And you'll be able to defend it as best you can, I think. (laughs) I know I've thrown around might be one of the best manga ever made a couple times, which is dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) It's always fighting words. Yes. So, Kara, just quickly before we move into new series, why did you not watch New Berserk before? Because I don't have time. Um, the the funny thing is, it's like uh, when I started getting into uh, working in the anime industry, and that's both localization and uh, news writing and feature writing, the more you work in the anime industry, the less anime you get to watch, unless, uh, unless you're actively working on it and unless you're actively reviewing it. And so it was there. And, you know, and I was aware of it, and I was like, gee, I should totally watch that. It looks neat. And then it went away, and it just sort of backslid with absolutely everything else on my list that I'm just now sort of going back to and going, oh, I remember feeling like I really had to watch that, or I, you know, I couldn't sleep at night. And yet, you know, (laughs) so it is not for lack of trying, and it's, you know, solely a lack of time. Yeah, no, I completely identify with that, and I'm sure Peter does too. I end up binging an awful lot right before we do our mid-season check-in and end-of-season wrap-up podcast recordings. So over the next week or two, I am going to be watching a lot more anime than I've been watching in the last month. And like you say, unless unless you have kind of a professional reason to consume it, you do end up consuming a lot less. So completely sympathise with that. Okay, so what did you hope or expect when you went into this? Or was it just a case of going in with this knowledge of Berserk as a proto-meme and not really knowing what to expect? I I honestly didn't know. Mm-hmm. I, I had no idea. I just, you know, I, I had seen... My experience between watching the 97 version and picking this up was occasionally doing articles about how cool the soundtrack is and this new maquette that they put out. So I had seen the art style, I had heard some of the music, I was aware it existed, but I knew nothing of the plot. Um, I think I think I very much expected to just see all the same characters because I think I I kind of think you you do expect that when you have. When you have an ensemble, you think, if I'm going into the new show, I am going to see characters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Um, by way of animation, I think I was expecting uh, something very different. Not not <laughs> the way you might think, by, by which I, I mean I was expecting... I was expecting a lot more 2D animation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, a, I was a little surprised 
at seeing the cell shading and seeing, you know, how it looks now. But I, I, I really think I was just expecting the show to pick up again, which was potentially quite short-sighted of me, but hey. <laughs> well, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've mentioned that I was not exactly thrilled with the aesthetic myself, and I'm very, I'm very not picky when it comes to animation. I can sit through some pretty staggeringly bad animation. Um, but there was, yeah, there was something about the way it was handled that felt just really jarring to watch. So I completely understand that. There's actually a bit of a recurring theme with Berserk uh, having... Oh, really? Yeah, the first 1997 anime, uh, everybody said it was uh, animated with quotation marks uh, because (laughs) there were so many scenes with, like, static faces or something like that where maybe they would be sliding the cell to the side and... and, uh, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it was was actually pretty famous. Uh, It got a lot of criticism for its uh, animation, quote-unquote. And then the uh, trilogy... Um, a lot of people weren't happy that they incorporated 3D although I think that's the best looking Berserk that, that has ever been made is the movie trilogy and now of course the new series which is 100% CG so it seems like every iteration uh, has some sort of problem with the visuals at least from a fan perspective so it's just being true to itself that's fine yep. we can support that continuing the legacy <laughs> okay let's look at these first six episodes we've got quite a lot to cover in this I think um, I just want to dive right in there. Farnese is a new character. She, I think, has some really great moments, and then she has some really difficult moments to watch. Kara, what did you think of her? Uh, Farnese, the character, the character outside of the things that happen to her, I think she, I think she's quite fascinating from what we've seen episodes one through six, especially what we find out at the very end of episode six is she has a lot of influences on her that have affected her psychologically, obviously. Um, and of course we can go into that more later, but I thought what was interesting about her is uh, she is very much motivated by praise in very, very strange ways, but she is motivated by praise, and I think uh, that's interesting. I think it's kind of... I think she has the potential to be a, a much deeper character than she looks like so far, and yet at the same time I'm afraid she won't be. Yeah. Um, and... And and then there's... And then there's episode three. <laughs> let's talk about and, episode three. <laughs> yeah, let's... So, so as... For, for your listeners, I was at I was out yesterday and I was getting Twitter messages <laughs> from you guys that was basically saying people were saying I stopped watching at episode three and you know if you can get through episode three then you know you're fine and I had stopped at episode two before I had gone out to you know <laughs> grab something to eat and so I was like oh boy I mean you know I've I've localized some pretty hellish stuff before how bad can it be you know and uh I came in going, oh, there's the thing she was talking about. And then five seconds later, wait, no, maybe that was the thing <laughs> she was talking about. Every, as, as I said to you, every time I saw the thing that you were talking about, there was another by God thing you could have been talking about. Yep. And it was just like I was getting slammed in the face over and over by, you know, oh, you thought that was bad. Oh, you thought that was bad. Oh, you thought that was bad. And I'm just like, no, look. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty hard to watch. I mean, the thing that I was talking about was the entire episode, pretty much. It was... Okay. It was... <laughs> I was like, did you mean the wall? Did you mean the horse? Or did you mean the sword? Because... Oh, my goodness. It could... So many moments. Yeah, I found that one really hard to watch. Because, I think for me, because it was... She had been framed yes. so respectfully up until these these scenes. She, mm-hmm. even when she was topless, even when she was flagellating herself, she would, mm-hmm. she was framed in a really respectful way as a human being. Yeah. As I recall, I mean, again, as always, people correct me if I'm wrong, but I got the impression that when she was framed, when she was topless, it was just she is a human who is topless. She wasn't being sexualized. She was whipping herself, which would have been quite easy to do, but that wasn't a priority. And then suddenly through this episode, we get all this back arching and we get her breasts have not got nipples for the most part and then all of a sudden in some angles and some moments they do have nipples and it's it it was just really uncomfortable to see her suffering in this way and to have her 
kind of character design and framing changed for what looked like sexualizing purposes in this moment of of real pain and suffering from her that was really hard to watch I, I think what you said was interesting about the fact when she was topless i mean and from when she was when she was flagellating herself all the way through i mean i thought it was just me but i was going this doesn't feel sexualized it just feels like oh she got grabbed when she was in the middle of this and it's annoying and it's a little embarrassing yes. for her but it doesn't feel like oh we're just gonna hang her upside down off a horse with her top off so people can stare at her because who was staring at her puck you know exactly. and and what does he know and it it reminded me in a weird way and this is a weird thing to compare anything to but the live action rose of versailles movie <laughs> When, okay. when she, when she, at one point she was wandering around topless, Lady Oscar was, and it was just the most meh thing in the world. And I was like, yeah, this is like the most meh thing in the world. And then suddenly it wasn't. And it was such a, such a shift. Yeah. Totally. And I'm, yeah, it, it, it did get very difficult to watch it. Uh, I mean, I, I love nightmare fuel as much as the next person i am a sucker for nightmare fuel mm -hmm. but why does it always have to have like why does it always have to be like weird sex nightmare fuel yes like why why am i in the bad part of pixiv uh <laughs> instead of it's it, episode three was the bad part of pixiv that's the only way i can describe it and i just wanted to leave i have not been to the bad and part of pixiv and now i don't think don't... i want to don't okay don't. best avoided <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was a shame because I think the actual things that were happening, there was a way to do it as convincing Nightmare Fuel with a topless woman without sexualizing her. And they oh God, yeah. actively chose to sexualize her in those moments. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, I just hate it when that happens. The other thing that got me was the, the, the lady of the manor. Mm. The, uh, on the, and it's like, all right. If you're gonna have body horror, have body horror. But why'd she have to have the why? Why'd it have to be from there up? I didn't. Why couldn't you have? I didn't totally follow that one. Was she a character that we have seen before, or did they just introduce this new character in a flashback just so that they could explain why she's on the wall? They just decided to put a girl on the wall, and right. I don't. Rec I maybe Peter knows. I'm not familiar with. Uh, this is actually uh, something I I knew I was gonna have to bring up. So uh, <laughs> the uh, a much uh, some of that episode is in the manga, um, but uh, the I'd say the lion's share of the episode actually was not uh, featured in the manga at all. Um, Guts grabs Farnese and he's riding away in the horse. Uh, then I think she falls off the horse. Uh, they fight those weird dog things. Uh, the horse does the horse thing. Uh, and then the sword thing, uh, and then um, Serpico shows up. Uh, the manor just never happened at all in the manga. I believe they said it was kind so this of... this is all outside. And... Um, I think uh, I heard something about it being based on, like, maybe some drafts that uh, Mira had thrown out or, or like, a storyline he'd considered doing but had decided against um, uh, to sort of frame that episode, but that wasn't actually part of the canon. Wow. That is a mm. huge change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In my head, it's like, well, if you decide not to put it in the manga, that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's your clue. Maybe we should respect that decision. <laughs> yeah, I just, again, body horror, nightmare fuel, fine, whatever. Yeah. But you kind of look at the way it's done, and you're like, you know, as as I was telling someone earlier when I was uh, a, another guy from the newsroom has actually watched all of the new series, and I said. I expect Berserk to be gory, but when you do certain things over and over, it starts to look like a kink, and I have questions. Yes. You know, I start to wonder, are you doing this for effect? Are you doing this to scare us? Or does your animator like what he's drawing? I think that's you a know? fair question. Yeah, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was actually... Um, this was perhaps one of the few times I've watched an anime and really felt strongly that different animators were doing different cuts in this one, because... Farnese, is it Farnese or Farnese or I? Uh, technically, I don't know how... it should be Farnese. I've, I've looked it up. That's actually the name of a wealthy Italian family from like the Renaissance ah, era. So and, it does uh, have the e eh on the end. Um, I guess I just maybe like in Mira's <laughs> head, but I like you know that's hard to pronounce in Japanese. So I don't. I think they just leave that <laughs> last part off. 
Okay, fun is, um, so there were moments in, in different cuts, like some moments fun is was really sexualized and then in other moments she wasn't and it really did seem like it was almost to the animator's taste. And that made me quite uncomfortable as well. Um, I can say there's a lot of weird camera pans they do to try to capture, uh, and I, I think it comes off as more voyeuristic because uh, they'll go like panel to panel in the manga, uh, but instead of doing that, they'll shift from one panel's perspective by rotating the camera to the next panel's perspective. Uh, and then in some cuts, I know they just basically added a whole lot, like uh, the, um, the spanking scene. Uh, that was like two panels and did not have a lot of those angles. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. So I think that there was, uh, on the, the adaptation side, uh, some more emphasis on certain visuals. That's quite, that's really upsetting. That's mm. quite a shame. Yeah. Upsetting is not quite the word, but that's really disappointing. Yeah. I, I don't want to defend Mira too much because, I mean, like, all of this topless and like nudity uh, scenes absolutely happen in the manga except he does draw nipples uh, so uh, <laughs> that was so weird it felt really uncanny valley that you have these CG characters with no nipples it it's, was... it's, that, it's that whole monotreme thing like you had in the Utena movie where it's you know well we want to have naked people but we can't show those things well we just don't want to draw those <laughs> just things just no nipples that's fine yeah <laughs> I'd say uh, try, very... try to get used to that uh, I think they <laughs> might be putting the nipples in in the blu-ray but i'm i'm not sure if that's what oh wow yeah well you know okay then is anyone out there buying the the berserk blu-ray for the nipples uh i should i <laughs> answer that, that well, question <laughs> i don't want that answer um we don't we don't want this answer i have seen side by sides of other scenes it. and they, they do make a lot of it look a lot better like uh and i think it's in episode four where guts goes back to his like kind of home and uh, I can't remember what the little girl's name is. Um, Erica, is it? Yeah, when she's running up, they she kind of looked like a like she's made out of Play-Doh in that scene, but they like fully animated <laughs> her face uh, when she's running up for the Blu-ray version. <laughs> they do a lot of improvements. Okay, that's something. A lot of the characters at times did look like uh, PlayStation 2 sprites um, here and there, watching it on streaming. Yeah. You know. Very nostalgic. I mean, so... So some sometimes the um, sometimes the the filter would be lovely, and then sometimes it just really wasn't, and then every time you get the little chibi puck, uh, he looks like a plastic toy. Yes. <laughs> and mm. oh. <laughs> I found that less weird I mean, than um, what's okay. So we've got the the sex worker Nina, her lover Joaquin. Is it Joaquin? Yeah. Yeah, and he shows up naked and looks like a Ken doll, and I find that a bit more disturbing than Puck <laughs> looking like a little doll. Because uh, at least at least Puck is a little, you know, fairy elf thing. He might just look different, you know? <laughs> he's, he's, he's magical. Exactly. This is a, dude. This is a human dude. And I kind of feel like if you're making... If you're, if you're telling an adult story about adult topics for adults, then just just be anatomically adult about it. It's not a problem. I would r- much rather have realistic anatomy. I think people people sometimes assume about me that I just I don't like nudity, and it's like no no no, I just don't like unrealistic anatomy or implausible anatomy or like jarring visuals related to yeah. anatomy. And mm-hmm. the the CG Ken doll is just as jarring and unnatural <laughs> as a normal boob fan service breasts. So it's uh, either of those I find just slightly disturbing and. I would much rather that they just have like adult looking breasts, adult looking penis, whatever, just have it there and it won't be an issue. Like we were saying earlier about Farnese when she's topless and it's just not a big deal. That is what it should be like in a story like Berserk. And instead it's it's either sterilized or sex- sexualized or some very uncomfortable combination of the two. It's a really <laughs> odd tone to pick. I think that kind of gets into Japanese uh, like televised content laws. Sure, uh, but there are better ways to do it than. Yeah, I mean, if they just they made pick. a movie series and like kept everything as like accurate as possible, I, I would have been happy with it too. Yeah, I mean, artistic nudity or artistic representations of nudity have been <laughs> have been around for literally centuries. So yeah. they had better options <laughs> than CG Kendall. I don't know how rough Japan is about nudity on television, though. 
So it's I don't know like what yeah what there's, their standards there's not are. a lot. There's I, I mean I remember when I was there that I, there was no nudity that I saw um, on mainstream television channels, and I don't think it will have changed drastically since then. And just in in Japanese culture in general, women won't wear kind of lower cut tops and things like that. So I yeah I would be I'd be amazed if this ever made it to live action. Put it that way. But I think that a live action would almost serve the story better than what like the choices that they've made in this anime. But let's get back to the feminism. Yeah. <laughs> so Fane is interesting character, treated quite badly, framed in really difficult ways. Let's look at Casca. I think this is a real point of disappointment for me because Casca is not to put too much emphasis on it, but Casca is a woman of color as a character and that is all too rare and she is a character that when I first saw Berserk I really resonated with aspects of her or she, aspects of her really resonated with me I should say and she's not my favorite character of all time but I really appreciated the fact that she was a fully developed character you know this is the low bar that we have kind of set for ourselves a lot of the time she's a fully developed character she's a woman of color she's in a position of strength and leadership she's misused by her leader who she's devoted to there was an awful lot of substance to Casca's character and it's completely gone and I understand their reasons for it but I'm not sure I'm not sure it's worth it I, I wonder what they're they're getting out of this decision that they couldn't get out of a, a Casca who's been traumatized and decided to go into hiding and keep her identity a secret rather than the casca who just has lost any sense of self so what did you think about her cara i i gotta admit i was i was watching for her yes you know exactly i really i'm i'm not gonna lie and the the one thing in my old anime club that was that was never a joke is that you know casca's too good for this show <laughs> She's she's too as 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 the kids say now too good for this show too pure. Um, we loved her. And that was the one thing that was never a gag is that she deserved better all the time. And so I was like, yeah, Casca, oh my god, she's in the opening, kind of awkwardly, but she's in the opening. And then we started seeing these flashbacks, and I started realizing, oh, okay. This is more about guts and what he's doing after everything's fallen apart. That's all right. Oh my god, Casca's back ish yeah and i for me as a as a writer as a friend of writers as a friend of showrunners i never want to say you should not have done this because it's not what i wanted like i'm i'm never going to say that to someone who runs a show mm -hmm. you know i'm never going to look at a show and say this episode sucked because it's not what i wanted but i will admit some serious disappointment when we finally get her back she's not she, back that's not her she's 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 sort of sem you know half aware ghost bait essentially you know yeah she 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 stumbles around she gets attacked and then the the monsters show up and then she stumbles around and stacks up some rocks and some more stuff happens and i'm I'm sad, and I know we're six episodes in, so I'm hoping it changes, or I am hoping that the story that this version of her tells is so crazy dynamic that I take back what I'm saying right now. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's probably my take, too. I would love to see her regain her sense of, her sense of self, her memories, her... Just her character, her character's completely gone and she's replaced by this this person who's just a shell and a shell who is basically a, a baby in an adult body, which, you know, we see infantilized women all the time in anime. It's usually not quite this extreme and doesn't usually have this kind of traumatic under underlying story to it, but it's still hard to watch and especially when it's a character who has been reduced I imagine it's pretty jarring too because I don't know if they you you neither of you have watched the movie trilogy. No, no. So the last thing we saw was the '97 eclipse, right? Yeah, and that's it. And then cut to this. Yeah. So the then the '97 anime basically I think ends just at the end of the eclipse. So you're like, yeah. And then what happens? Uh, the movies cover uh, some chapters uh, that occurred. 
I think that the anime assumes you watch the movies because it it uh, covers some scenes where like the reveal that that's happened to Casca and some of the stuff that happens in between. So just going from like absolute like literally the apocalypse to Casca being like this uh, is I I imagine not knowing that beforehand it would have been even more surprising. Just in episode two and three, Casca shows up like that. Um, disappointing is yeah. the word i do want to say one of the things i find most encouraging about the berserk fandom uh is that it's pretty much universally agreed that everybody wants old casca back uh even the fans who are mostly about like the the male power trip aspect of guts killing demons with his sword uh i i don't think i've <laughs> ever heard anybody say that like oh i casca's like whatever uh give or take something like that like pretty much universally everybody has said like i want casca to come back i want her to be her old self again I want to see her kicking more ass, that kind of thing. Well, it sounds like we're not getting it in this series then. <laughs> oh, well. I will, um, I will say nothing. <laughs> You've already said too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think Fanez is going to have to fill that gap. And it's, it's frustrating that I find myself saying this. Like, Welp, the one kind of strong female character has been knocked out of consideration. So we've got another one to fill her place. No more allowed. The token has been filled. And that's that's a shame. Because the other women, we have the sex workers who've taken Casca in and are looking after her. Particularly Luca, who is a character that I really liked, actually. Oh, yeah. I found her to be... It's This is this is what we mean when we say strong female character is not about like physical strength. She is... The, the way that she treats the women around her with respect and points out, you know, we need to we need to stick together by being equals. That's the only way this is going to work. And she still doesn't succeed. Um, and that spanking thing, again, <laughs> quite uncomfortable. But as a character, I find her yet, interesting. Yet at the same time, it was it was interesting, but it was also sort of, you know, the not the actual scene, but sort of the before and the after yeah. of it. Just sort of being this, you know, I, I have never seen that reaction to dragging someone out of a drug-fueled orgy. I mean, that's, that's kind of amazing. It's a situation like, you encounter frequently, obviously. It's, it's like, I'm, 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 not, I'm not angry that you're worshipping demons, I'm just disappointed. Yes. You know, it's... <laughs> but it was the, the the after of that scene. I mean, yeah, the spanking was kind of super duper awkward, but then sort of the, I was scared, you know, I was freaked out. You can't do stuff like that. We had that talk this morning, you know? Yeah. And it's very parental. So I do, I do love Luca as a character and the fact that she is almost, not even almost a parental presence for them when they probably have nothing like... <laughs> yeah. And the fact that she takes Casca in when she clearly, you know, is in is in what is potentially kind of a dangerous situation for Casca. She does make the point you shouldn't walk around without bandages on because otherwise there's no hope for you, which was again a little bit uncomfortable. You know, men are all just rapists waiting to happen, right? So I'm yeah, I I wonder I mean I questioned the decision to have her taken in by sex workers specifically and are they going to do something with that? Are they making a point with that or was it just to tell a story about sex workers? I don't know. So yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they're going to handle it. So I like the fact that that they've got a character like Luca. I mean, there was that great moment where this guy Jerome's saying, you know, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to my to my home and I'm going to make sure you're well taken care of. You'll be my mistress. I'll look after you. And she says, oh, Jerome, that's so wonderful. And then when he leaves, she's like, yeah, I could never do my job and believe anything like that. And she's just so down to earth with it, which I really appreciated. But again, are we just, are we, are we putting Casca with sex workers specifically so that Casca will be mistaken for a sex worker to set that up? Or is... I don't know. I don't know. I I am very cynical and question the motivations for story choices like this. But if they're just going to go and make make these sex workers like fully realized characters and really make use of it in that way and not just end up torturing them, for example, which we've seen quite a lot of even in these six episodes, then I'll rethink that. 
So I, the one last thing we probably should talk about before looking at the next few episodes is Guts and Griffith. So their relationship is absolutely central to the the 1997 series and presumably to the films as well and I know it's a relationship that's discussed from a queer perspective quite a lot this isn't something that I'm completely familiar with myself again I haven't really been involved in fandom or done much reading around the series but I know that that is absolutely a way that it was introduced to me when I first saw it um and now we have Guts and Griffith not in each other's lives really but Griffith is still very important to Guts he's kind of centering his existence around finding Griffith from what I can tell and kind of getting his revenge I don't know if I've got his his motivations right there um so yeah the transition is really awkward since they've done it in so many different ways different parts okay they they actually they've left out uh two story arcs still uh that have never been animated uh one that occurred before the golden age like rewind happened and then uh they kind of jammed part of another story arc that happened uh before the tower of conviction this current arc and uh the golden age which was called lost children uh into like that weird first episode um so there's a lot of that is kind of just out i I basically uh guts wants to kill apostles right now which are kind of uh you know those half demon used to be people things and I think uh, that, that might have been why Mira had that, um, like, scrapped idea for the third episode in there. Uh, I, I noticed that, like, the more apostles he was introducing, it seemed like he was growing progressively more, uh, making them more sympathetic characters. Like, life circumstances led them to make the decisions that they made that ultimately turned them into monsters, um, which would be the story of Griffith as well. Uh, I mean, obviously he was very, what he did was absolutely wrong, but uh, you can see why he did it. Um, so Guts, uh, I think he definitely wants to kill Griffith, but, like, Griffith is in, like, kind of another plane of existence right now, and his, (laughs) his status of existence is questionable, (laughs) so, uh, at this point, he just sort of, uh, you you miss his resolution, uh, if you watch the movies, I think they include that, he just decides to travel and kill apostles and somehow, like, climb this ladder of demons to finally reach Griffith and stab him in the heart or something like that, that's his motivation, uh, at least when the anime begins. I kind of wish they'd done a really short kind of catch up yeah. to at the very beginning of this series. I think did did Attack on Titan's second series do that? I think um, it did. The first the very first episode, the very beginning, I think it just caught you up with yeah, what had happened so far. They and had it took a lot like of flashbacks. Oh no, I just mean in the very first minute there was like a montage, I think. Uh, I really wish that Berserk had done something like that to, to really catch you up. Because there's a lot that I think, if you don't, if you haven't seen the films, you won't have have seen it at all. And if you haven't seen the '97 series since 1997, then you'll definitely have forgotten it. What's interesting about Guts and Griffith are the kind of, from a feminist perspective, this is obviously there's lots about them that's interesting. But from a feminist perspective, what's interesting about Guts and Griffith are the kind of different types of masculinity that each of them represent. And Griffith is. You know, he's kind of he's kind of a bishonet, right? He's kind of a pretty boy, but he's got this immense strength and charisma. And Farnese has already been kind of called out for not having the right charisma and sense of leadership. And I think when you watch that with Griffith in mind, as this example of kind of really an incredible leader, he gathered so many people around him who would follow him to the ends of the earth, and that's kind of undeniable. And Farnese really is lacking by comparison. And so that that is one kind of form of masculinity that Berserk has been very good at showing. And on the other hand, we've got Guts with his giant sword, which I'm pretty sure they're going to just keep telling us, you know, it was too big to be a sword. And just break that point over and over again. I'm pretty sure I've seen a meme on that. So that's a really unsubtle presentation of masculinity. But these two men, their relationship was really magnetic and I'm I kind of want to see them interact again but on the other hand I know that would kind of signal the end of the story so I'm quite comfortable keeping them at a distance at a moment but how do you think they might handle that going forward Kara? Mm, I mean I I don't know I mean every everything you say is very true it's always it's very interesting to see sort of those two sides of it because um now, when I was in college, when I was 18, 19, Griffith 
to a bunch of teenagers was hilarious. <laughs> you know, to to a bunch of teenagers in 1999. Yeah, he was super he was super duper funny. Uh, in retrospect, looking back at him, I just I adore him, and uh, I think you're right that should should we see him come back uh, like fully, then yeah, the story's over. This is you know. This this is this is a getting there story in a whole lot of ways, but um, I don't know. I, I really I really don't know how they'd go about that. But um, I, I I am as torn as you are because <laughs> I just want more. I want more Griffith in the show too. But I appreciate what that would mean. So yeah, it seems like um, he's only going to show up in flashback or with the the giant mask on. Yeah, oh, I mean that's that's. It's 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 a it's a little Char Gundam type thing. It's like, hmm, wonder who's under the mask. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, I'm I'm torn. I wonder. I mean, I, I it makes me wonder if they're going to have other characters who are going to to represent that kind of masculinity, or if it is just going to be Griffith. Griffith is like the paragon. We haven't really seen anyone like Griffith yet. Granted, we're only six episodes. We're, you know, a quarter of the way through. But, I mean, if we look at the male leaders we've seen, we've got, what's his name? The the, the Macy's float. Um, <laughs> Moscow's. <laughs> yeah, the guy, the guy who, like, thro- throws, him, throws himself on the floor a thousand times before breakfast. Yeah. And, you know, uh, so we, we got him. And then we have uh, Furness's, uh what what Serpico. 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 I, I wanted to say his name was Serpico. I'm like that can't be right. And it's like, no, that really is his mm-hmm. name. And it's like he 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 is he is like occasionally a voice of reason, but he's not a leader. And I I don't see anyone yet who could fill that role. I don't see anyone yet who could even go on you know, a character development journey to fill that role. Yeah. And again, I could be wrong, but it seems like that is something hugely lacking from this. And maybe that's on purpose. Maybe we are meant to feel the absence of Griffith. Yeah. I mean, that that would be my guess, to be honest. I really, I think that perhaps the void is intentional. And I think that it's interesting then that they have this void and essentially the character they filled it with is Farnese. So we're in a situation where they've had this really important, significant masculine character taken away and they filled it with this this young religious woman. I think that could be a really interesting choice. Now, the fact that I mentioned earlier that she's the, the kind of contrast between her leadership or lack thereof and Griffith's, I think her arc could be the one to get her to a point where she is a genuine leader. I think that would be absolutely fascinating to watch. It's something we never saw with Casca. By the time we saw her, she was already fully developed and she was a leader off screen most of the time, but she was a leader. She was respected already. Whereas Farnese is going to go on a journey to earn the respect of the people around her. And I I think that could be a really interesting story and something that I wouldn't have expected from within Berserk. So I'm very interested to see where that goes. Yeah. I, I would I would love to see that for her, uh, because of all of all the characters I'm encountering, she's the one where I could go, you know, okay, here are the three directions this character could go depending on you know ha- what what the plot is intending to do, and any of them could potentially be interesting. One or two of them could be utterly disastrous, but um, there are a few stories that could be told with her, and I'm hoping I'm hoping it's the you know up and coming leader one. What are the As others that you can think of? Uh, up and coming Pyro, I think is. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. I mean there, there, there is there is every possibility that she could just go completely off the deep end because we're already seeing that she has that tendency, and you know, in in some of the more uncomfortable scenes, granted, but just sort of this concept that uh no this is this is not necessarily out of religion that you're doing this yes um and yeah so there's the becoming a wonderful leader there is becoming um a complete maniac which honestly um, i'm here for that too because <laughs> i don't know uh, or 
you know, or, or she could just, you know, go down the road of, you know, I can't see her becoming a weak character. I can't see her becoming someone who just sort of buckles and, you know, becomes secondary, but anything can happen. I've seen weirder, so, but... <laughs> well, Casca's I, transformation is probably the most shocking yeah, to me. Yeah, if it happened to Casca, it can happen to anyone, and that's what scares me, but um, I'm, I'm really hoping that what we see with Furness is something very bold something very you know something very forward i'd love for it to be the leadership story but if she just goes nuts i'll take it <laughs> <laughs> so what what else would you like to see from the next six episodes i want them to do something about Casca. i yeah. know i don't want to come back to them it's like uh, i just ah uh. um i um from from a purely aesthetic viewpoint because i love the scaries I want to see a greater variety of weird ghosts and monsters. I was, I was really iffy about them when they when they threw a beholder up and said it was an incubus, and I'm like, great, okay. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, are we going that way? All right. But when they had the ghosts on the wheels, yeah, like the tortured, I was like, oh my god, now that's what I'm talking about. That's <laughs> wild. That's the stuff. Like that's when when I think of like weird crazy horror and you have like people who were killed on wheels using the wheels to go charging at people that's the stuff <laughs> i want i i know that sounds absolutely horrible of me but i am macabre and and morbid and terrible and that's I love why that we invited you here it's all good yay <laughs> because, because when the ghost show up i'm like oh yeah but i mean that that level of sort of visual creativity that that idea that you know to, to put it bluntly, there is horror to be found in something besides, you know, eldritch horrors grabbing naked women. Yes. You know, when when they get super creative with the horror, it is amazing. And I want to see it sort of go, go creative and go interesting like that. Because that's when it's at its best. And that's when it's at its, you know, here's why I'm watching sort of thing. So. Yep. Makes perfect yeah, sense. So, yeah. So visually, want more scary stuff that isn't just sex selfishly i want Casca back <laughs> yep as do we all <laughs> i think i'd like to see more exploration of kind of the human horror that we're starting to see so you've got this what's it what is his name peter mosgus mosgus yeah mosgus he's he's appalling um but he's appalling in a way that we have seen with kind of scary priest characters before in in fiction in general and i i would like them to do something a little bit more interesting than that it, it, does he genuinely believe what he's saying or is he just sadistic and then we see uh Farnese kind of getting some joy out of this as well so what's her what's her appeal here is she really as righteous as she seems or is she is she kind of being terrible because she just enjoys being <laughs> terrible to people. I don't know. It would be really interesting to find out. So I hope we get some more insights on on the characters of the people who are doing these terrible things because right now it does feel a little bit torture porny. Yeah. And I would like to have a little less of that. Like I get it, torture's awful, but a lot of the torture that they showed us was really sexualized. And like when you had that uh, foregrounded image of this this woman's breasts being kind of squeezed by pincers and there was there was other stuff in the image which i won't describe but it's it's quite sexualized torture for the female characters and for the male characters it's you know just having all your bones crushed by a giant wheel so that's kind of different tiers of torture there so i would like them to to back off the sexualized torture a bit and look a bit more at the horror of the people who are inflicting this on their fellow humans. I would like to see more of that. And of course I would like to see, I'd like to see something of Casca. Casca and Griffith reuniting would, not Griffith, that's not going to happen. Casca and Guts <laughs> reuniting <laughs> in these six episodes feels like a reasonable aim. It's only going to take him three days to find her, in theory. So that would be great. If they don't reunite and the, this is an entire core of guts looking for Casca and only finding her in episode 12 I'll not be best pleased so that is quite important to me I think that they resolve that quickly and move on to something else 
I'd like to know more about Serpico. Is it Serpico? Is that his name? Yeah. Serpico's great. I really want to know more about him because it kind of seems like Farnese is responsible for killing his mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they didn't go into any detail on that. But at the same uh, time, he Did they talk about complete... that already? Yeah. Okay, I don't know. Well, I, I must he, have he missed said, that rewatching. <laughs> what he said was... My mother was killed in front of my eyes three years ago. Was it mother or father? A parent was killed in front of his eyes three years ago. And mm. this was after they'd said that three years ago, uh, Farnese, as a very young looking child, I didn't realise how young she was in present day. Um, yeah, the, the juxtaposition sort of drove home that she was responsible in some way. Yeah, but okay. possibly not in a way she wanted to be. We'd seen these images before of people throwing rocks not at other people not because they particularly wanted to but because they needed to avoid suspicion that they were somehow complicit yes so it seemed like that was maybe more the sort of thing but she's maybe convinced herself anyway i want to know more about serpico's story and as well he said something about how he was in that uh i don't know what you call it that regiment or whatever i he was he was there because he can't stand the sight of blood but he sees blood plenty of times in these six episodes and it doesn't phase him so that's clearly not the reason, and it's clearly something to do with Farnese. He's he puts his life at risk to go and find her. But if she's responsible for the death of of a parent of his, then it it doesn't add up yet. So I'd like to know more about his story. You can't see so. it, but my hands are rubbing together right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's good stuff to come. He's 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 got he's got the closed eyes like like uh, Zellos from Slayers. Yes. <laughs> and whenever you have a character with the closed eyes, you know that they're going to, like, flip. He opens them occasionally when things are extremely bad. That's, like, a barometer of how bad things are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think Guts calls him a, a fox or something like that. Because it's, <laughs> it's the clever closed eye type. Uh, stereo- I guess it's a stereotype. He calls call him a fox. Yeah. Archetype. That's what it is. <laughs> He says he's a fox. I don't know. He, he uses fox to describe him a lot because he seems way, way too clever for his own good. And I don't know. Uh, Foxes always have closed eyes in, in Japanese yeah. art for some reason. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds funnier in English. Though. Yeah. <laughs> Foxy. Okay. Peter, has anything surprised you about our discussion today? Or did it go pretty much as you would have expected? Mm, um, I guess I was maybe expecting a bit more um, time spent on different aspects of the characters. Although I guess, like, it, especially in these first six episodes, it's a lot of like uh, getting hammered with like really uncomfortable visuals uh, as they're yeah. like kind of introducing a pretty big cast that plays a part in um, the Tower of Conviction. Um, mm. So I guess that wasn't too surprising. I I was glad you touched on the uh, Luca a lot because I really love uh, Luca. Um, uh, I thought you, maybe you'd uh, and oh you you did talk about Jerome right? How, you know, he said he'd bring her back to his house and she could be his mistress. And yeah. All that. Okay. I thought maybe you'd have something to say about uh, it, like maybe examining the offer in and of itself, not just her response to it. Oh. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't like know. like if you found that to be him trying to be genuinely compassionate or. Um, uh, I yeah. didn't personally. Okay. Think... As soon as Luca was cynical about it, I became cynical about it. Okay. So, um... Cara, what did you think of that? I I don't know. It's like at first I was like, oh, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for it's like for a split second I was like, yay, and then the minute she said something, I went, yeah, no, hang on. You know that, and anyone can say anything when they're yeah. at war. <laughs> exactly. You know. Exactly, and the the dude is probably assuming he's gonna die, and it's gonna be if she, if he lives and she comes back holding him to it, he's not gonna know what to do. That was so. that was actually my first thought as soon as he said that. I was like, oh, you're gonna die. But that was because I assumed he was genuine, and you know, people aren't allowed to be in love and happy. So I assumed that he was going to die on that basis. And then <laughs> when he left, and Luca was really cynical about it, I was like, oh no, no, he's probably lying. So maybe he'll live. <laughs> it might be okay. <laughs> So I'd, he went on to show himself not to be the greatest guy. So I, um, yeah, he was really disrespectful to Farnese. And that is quite an interesting story in itself. It seems like a, a lot of that friction is kind of coming from him. And the fact that he doesn't respect her as a leader. Or it's being voiced through him, I should say. Maybe not coming from him. But he's representing that view to us pretty strongly. He's like the her troops perspective character, I think. 
Yeah, so I don't I don't want him to <laughs> to be with Luca because she's too good for him. Yeah. But at the same time, <laughs> agreed there for sure. Yeah. Um, I thought uh, you might uh, have something to say about uh, a lot of Farnese's uh, apparent self value being tied up in the fact that she's a virgin, because uh, the Holy Iron Chain Knights have to be led by a virgin maiden. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, so a, a lot of the sexual themes that come up with Farnese, uh, I notice, uh, were typically... Well, I mean, obviously there's the religious aspect where she has to, um, like, you know, keep to these values of uh, chastity and, like, well, not being a sadist or burning things. Uh, unless you're burning <laughs> witches, that's important. Um, but at the same time, the uh, like, being... There's actually, like, a, a an actual value to her virginity, uh, beyond just some sort of conceptual something. I mean, it's still conceptual. It's stupid that, that they have to be led by a virgin maiden. Um, but this is, like, important to her since it, it, it also represents her um, her status in her um, military unit, I guess you'd call it. Oh, wow. I did not realize that at all. So I, I saw there's that there's a line where they say quite clearly that the, the role of leader of this uh, troop is typically a woman or it's traditionally a woman say virgin but maiden. i didn't do they say virgin maiden mm-hmm. how did i miss that okay it may have been uh it may have been depending on i don't know how many places run it so it could have been something in translation i watched it I on know. crunchyroll so oh i did too so maybe we just missed, <laughs> maybe we just missed uh, they might have said virgin maiden think... like at the first episode where it's like just throw in some like exposition about the holy iron chain yeah. nights at you and then they say woman later uh... Um, I, I think was Jerome say, says I, it, it's but far more it. likely that I just missed it in the mm. early episodes. Oh yeah, no, that is really interesting, and we should definitely <laughs> we should definitely talk about that in the next six episodes. Mm. So her virginity has military value. Wow. Yeah, I mean it, it's basically it's tied to her self worth. Um, I think because she, if anything, is very proud of her status in the church and her faith, and yeah. that and she can't be where she is unless she's a virgin. Uh-huh. That's very interesting. Yeah. Okay, let's definitely pick yeah. up on that next next time and talk about this. I might have to rewatch some of the first episodes. Yeah. And see it through that that lens cuz I missed that completely and that's pretty significant. So thank you for bringing that up. Sure. And uh I think uh, I was a bit surprised you kind of uh I don't know if you guys mentioned Nina too much. Uh, no. Didn't spend too much no. time with her. Um, I there's I, I don't know if there's a whole lot right now, but I thought they presented a couple interesting things with her, like her uh, her disease and her uh, troublesome relationship with Luca. Yeah, I think I think it's because I couldn't find really much to say about her at this point. It's it, she does have this this presumably sexually transmitted disease, and she. And Luca seemed to have a bit of a fractious relationship, but also deeply caring. But beyond that, I, I don't know. I don't really get a sense of her yet. I don't know. I don't know if she's a real character yet, or if she's just serving a purpose to kind of prop up a particular story, and then we'll never see her again. I guess. Well, we'll revisit that then. We'll revisit that. Okay. <laughs> Anything more? Um. Uh, nothing that I think I could get away with saying without giving away something. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then let's wrap this one up for today. Thank you both so much. That's really interesting. And I'm looking forward to going through this one. I think it's going to have quite a few challenging moments um, <laughs> as an anime. And I'm really glad to have a place to discuss that. I think it'll be really valuable. So just to wrap up then, our work is available on www.animefeminist.com and you can find us on Twitter at Anime Feminist. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash animefem and we're on Tumblr at animefeminist.tumblr.com. We also have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash animefeminist and we are now beyond $1,000 in monthly income, which is absolutely incredible. We have, as of this week, 250 patrons supporting us. That's a quarter of a thousand. It's so happy. It's absolutely wonderful. And they are making sure that everyone we can pay is getting paid. The only people who are still being unpaid for regular work are our editors who edit the contributor pieces that come in. And they've been working unpaid since September last year. So I would really like to be able to pay these wonderful people. At the time of recording, we are just $115 away. 
So if you can spare a dollar a month, it really does add up. Please go to patreon.com slash animefeminist and send us a dollar a month to continue our work. Or if you send us $5 or more, you can join our private Anafem Discord where you can come and tell us how wrong we are for everything we've discussed in our podcast today. That's also absolutely fine. So thank you so much to Kara and to Peter. We will be back next time with episode 7 to 12.